Welcome to Don't Be the Trolls, where we put the mental in fundamentalism. And we also put the fun, right? We put the, put fun, the fun in that fundamentalism. We have a very special guest today, speaking of fundamentalists. He wrote a book called Fundamentalist, Stories of a Mentally Ill, Obsessive, Compulsive, Legalistic, Youth Group, Kid Turned Pastor. His name is Joey Svensson, and he will join us for an interview a little bit later. But first, we have some new patrons to welcome. Yeah, and we uh, told you guys, hey, last week we didn't have any patrons. But this week, you're going to make up for it. And you did. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy Klein, you upped your pledge. Thanks, man. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate it. And uh, Daniel Bauer. Jack Bauer's team. brother, right? I think. Jack, yeah, yeah, 24. Jack Bauer's brother. Thanks, or, Daniel. Uh, Eddie Bauer's brother. One of the two. God bless America. Oh, it's not spelled the same. <laughs> anyway, AJ Erasmus yes, joins sir. us as well. And uh, Jesse Sherman. I swear so. we've said Jesse Sherman's name like 14 times. I think he just pledges and then pulls the money every month so we can say his name again. Hey, that's great. Hey, man, as long as you're, <laughs> as long as you're coming back, we're excited. Well, we don't have any emails today. It's going to be uh, it's a long interview. And for those of you who don't know Joey Svensson, he's, um, he's one-third of the Bad Christian Podcast. This interview specifically gets a little bit uh, more religious. We all, all three of us have kind of a more conservative fundamentalist upbringing and so we took it all the way there um and so we talked about theology and and some stuff that might not interest everybody so if that stuff kind of is not you're not into that or maybe you don't care for it this might be an episode i'm I'm just gonna say it nate this might be an episode that they might want to skip yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of our fans um, understand there's religious ties to a lot of the things we do. Right. But yeah, sometimes if you're like a fan of the bands and you don't really dig that that much, Joey and Matt and I, we kind of go all over the place. And right. uh, I think it's good. I think it's a great... We love these conversations, but sure. we always understand that not everyone who's uh, listening to weekly episodes about Bigfoot and <laughs> time travel might not be into this one. So... Totally understandable, but if you want to hear how, if you want to see, uh, I guess, behind the curtain and, and, and hear about an upbringing of some fundy kids, uh, feel free to tune in and listen to this long interview with Pastor Joey Spencer. Yeah, if you knew about Switchfoot's first album, you might enjoy this <laughs> podcast episode. BC Pod's got like what? What are you at? Like two hundred and fifty episodes? Yeah. I, so at this, so at this point, you're you've had a conversation about every possible topic, right? Masturbating while we're podcasting <laughs> is off limits. <laughs> Just can't do it. Uh, everything you could Keep think. Keep your hands out of your pants, boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I suppose this is a good a time as any to welcome you to the podcast uh, from co-host of. <laughs> If you can't tell, co-host of the Bad Christian Podcast, also author of an autobiographical book called Fundamentalist, Stories of a Mentally Ill, Obsessive, Compulsive, Legalistic, Youth Group, Kid Turned Pastor. And if the redundancy of that title indicates anything, it's probably some level of obsessiveness. Welcome, Joey Svensson, (laughs) to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's fun fun being on here. So how does it I think, feel? How I think it's it, fun. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get yeah, to how that. How does it feel to be on the other end of things? I, I actually like it. I think it's a, it's a feeling of you're just way more loose because you're on someone else's podcast. You know, the only thing I... Here's, here's how I feel. 
The only thing I can do for you guys right now is to make you better or worse than what you're doing. But I can't I can't make what you guys are doing happen. Like that's not my job. So I can either I can either hinder you guys or make you better, but I can't create what y'all are. So it's just more it's more relaxed. And yeah. I'm confident enough in myself that I'm definitely not gonna hurt this episode. There's no pressure. Yeah, there's no pressure. <laughs> exactly. So now and now you're an author. You're not only a co host of a podcast, a successful podcast too. You're an author of a book called Fundamentalist. Hey, he's got another podcast. He's two podcasts. He does. Yeah, you uh, right. you're also pastor with no answers. That's right. That's Man, right. Man, you're just a busy guy. But how does yeah. it feel? I always wanted to know what it was like, you know, because I, I I've always wanted to write, but I never got around to it. Haven't got around <laughs> to it. Nate's written a book and hasn't gotten around to uh, finishing it. Right. <laughs> I've just got too many trolls, man. Too many trolls. Right. We're feeding our trolls. What's it like to like overcome that that troll to to actually sit down and finish something? It seems like a, it's a pretty big task. Yeah, I I guess I don't really. When someone says you're an author now. I guess it, that just doesn't click with me. I feel like I am somewhat creative, somewhat entertaining, but all I did was write down like a journal of the bizarre things that I've thought and did throughout my life. And then I had and then I had someone super skilled, as you guys know, Matt Johnson, right. that kind of picked up those scraps. Uh, made suggestions, but also worked really hard to to make it more than a journal. And I, I'm pretty good at disciplining myself and buckling down and getting a lot of stuff done. But uh, I don't know if I'm an author. I did guess. you learn? Did you learn a lot about the process and what, kind of what it means to lay out a book? And uh, just through observation, I don't think Matt. You know, he he didn't have necessarily the luxury to sit down with me and tell me exactly what he's thinking through and what his thought process is. Or maybe he just assumed that I was disinterested. But right. I certainly did not learn enough to be able to do something like this by myself next time. I mean, because it really <laughs> is just... There was a lot that went on that I just was completely I will say not in tune with. One thing that you're really good at, and I'm not necessarily as good at, at uh, this, but bringing other people into your corner and he relying heavily on them. And I know that like some people would be like, well, that's, that's a weakness. You know, why can't you be more independent and do it yourself? But I see that as a strength really, because I can't like my personality type is I'll trust you to do something. And if you fail once it's over, like I'll just right. do it myself, you know, I'm right. like, and uh, so I just don't trust anybody with Except me. Well, Nate, I can trust because Nate's in, <laughs> Nate's individualistic and he he gets things done and he's the self starter. But like Jesus? that's why. No, nah, I don't man? trust. I don't trust Jesus. He's not around <laughs> often enough. I pray to him and he doesn't answer. No, but, but like, but uh, but it's very hard for me. So I I will say that you do that. I mean, I work in proximity to you on some projects. Yeah, and you do that. I mean, you're like. You're like, is this getting done? I don't know. Like, so now I, you, you motivate me because I'm like, Joey doesn't know what he's doing. I have to, help, <laughs> I have to help him. <laughs> so I don't yeah, know. I definitely, I mean, that could be I'm a blessing and a curse, but yeah, I'm definitely the person that would way rather stop and ask someone how to get somewhere than to figure it out on myself. Now that's yeah. probably a bad example because I'm just so horrible at at directions. But still, that's that's kind of I. 
if if someone else is able to do something better than me or quicker, like that's why with with handyman work, I am so horrible at it. It is actually worth paying someone a little bit or or inconveniencing a friend when I know they could come and knock something out in ten minutes, something right. that would take me three hours and. I don't care about learning it yeah, at all because I feel like there's other things that I need to be working right. on and, and getting better. That's a that's a good point. There's so many things in my life where there are like I remodeled a house by myself, but there were certain tasks that were cool. Super thanks for hard throwing that do. out there. I appreciate it. <laughs> but but no, I'm telling you. But when it came to like drywall, I was like, I don't want to do the drywall. Yeah. I kind of know how to do it. It's a tedious task. It takes right. forever. I'm just gonna hire someone to do drywall. I don't know if you guys can you know see what I mean? behind me. Like, uh, you know, I drywalled this garage that I'm in right now. We're we're on video, and yeah. I hung it all um, lengthwise the wrong way. <laughs> so it's like on the wall, but like there's there's massive cracks in between each panel because they're not like pressed <laughs> together with the putty or anything. I just did it all wrong, and so yeah, yeah. I totally. Uh, I think sometimes you need to pay the pros, but also yes. I rent here, so I don't really care. Joey, we uh we just did an episode on um, news resolutions and why people fail. And one of right. the one of the reasons that we um, we researched, came up with, and preached at people was that they don't get people in their corner. And yeah. you kind of have to have people. You you have to you have to tell people about it. And I, I know we don't like the word accountability, but they do because when it's public, I love they, that word. I call it accountability like buddies. Accountability buddies. buddies. <laughs> yeah, but like. <laughs> If you tell people you're going to do something, they're going to check in. If they care about yeah. you, they're like they're going to be like, "How's that thing?" And it adds right. a, a level of importance and pressure for you to uh, start start working on it. Um, yeah. But also, just like getting people involved in projects helps the project. Uh, Carter's big on this. He always gets people yeah. in. He's like, "If I can get people fired up." Matt Carter is a co-host of a Bad Christian Podcast as well, and we work with him on a bunch of different projects, books, music, stuff like that. But he's always uh, almost gaslighting people, almost making people right. like, like not seem crazy, but like be crazy passionate about something uh, so that they kind of launch off and, and take responsibility for a project. So he's really good about getting people involved. I think he's a genius with that, and I think that... In in the if you're gonna do percentages, I think that's gonna work to his advantage more times than it'll burn him. But there is the chance of giving someone something and then feeling uh, burned, and the burn is more significant because you let so much time go by thinking that something was good to go, and in reality, <laughs> it wasn't. So I, I think yeah. there's advantages and disadvantages of. Of, yeah, of any any approach to well, his, doing stuff like his that. Personality, but he's, he's good at it. His personality works with me because I'm very independent. So right. if he fires me up to do something, I I already want to get off the phone and just start doing it. And right. then and then he can come back check in a couple months later and it's done, you know. Yeah. Um, but with other people, they kind of need constant direction, and he's not that guy. He'll get you right. started though. Speaking of direction, the whole point of this podcast <laughs> we brought you on was to talk about mental. Health, mental illness, right? Right, right. sure. <clears throat> and I'm just trying to get us back on the right okay, direction. Okay, so we're always talking about, like on this podcast, we're always talking about overcoming mental blocks and like trolls in your life, right? And we, we think right. there's steps that help you overcome your inner troll, overcome those voices, those self-critical voices that stop you from doing things that you feel like should be done or must be done. And oftentimes we're talking about creative stuff. And so that's why I wanted to talk about what it was like to write a book because it's it's yeah it's a big task, 
But yeah. um, there is the issue of mental illness where like it's not just an issue of will or like a process that you can go through. Sometimes there is depression, anxiety, mood disorders, things that are stopping you from like mental health. So maybe it's not all just if you have the will, you can overcome, you know, maybe, maybe there's right. a level of uh, just ongoing depression, anxiety that you have to fight. Uh, you're one of 26% of all Americans, apparently, yeah. over the age of 18, meet the criteria for having mental illness. So yeah. I guess maybe you can talk about what are specific ways that you kind of overcome some of your, uh, some of your tics or quirks or uh, mental loops that you get into. Well, first yeah. I want to hear what when did you discover you had some sort of mental health issue? What did it look like? I think I struggled with mental illness in my childhood, but it didn't start to really make major impact and impede normal life and development socially and mentally and all that until probably high school. And I remember my parents early in college saying, hey, we think you struggle with depression and there's some stuff going on. And I attribute it all to my spiritual failings as a Christian and, and just concluded, hey, once I fix that, I'll be okay in this area too. And they're like, oh, okay, if that's what you think. <laughs> and what woke me up to it was basically a blind date gone bad. And when I say gone bad, was nothing. Like I basically was getting set up with a girl. The blind date fell through. I didn't have anything invested in it, and I got off the phone. I started playing John Madden's football again, and then my I just I just tanked. Like I fell into a depression over this girl that I've never met. I didn't know what she looked like or anything. Huh. And I was like, "Wait, this is not normal." I mean, it was like a light bulb went off, and I called my parents immediately and said, "You guys are right. What do I do?" Right. So that was the beginning. So it's just that a level beginning. of self awareness that kind of kicked in. It's like, wait a minute, right? This is not normal. Well, there's right. different types of depression, too, because, like, I know, Matt, you've said, we've talked about it before, you said you don't really struggle with mental illness at all. You kind of... <laughs> Matt, Matt McDonald said that? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No, I know. I don't say I don't struggle with mental illness. I, 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 don't, I don't struggle with depression or anxiety. Uh, well... But, but I, I'm definitely, like, you know, I don't know. If ADHD crazy or... Your or mood, or rage, well, I, anger problems. Well, depression seems to me is just, it's hard. Like you get depressed in the wintertime, but when you have depression, when you are right. just, you can't see your way out of the box of life, you are in a different place. Is that what you're trying to say, Joey? Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, for a solid chunk of my life, I would say a good 10 years, I just, I just didn't know... And I was just plugging away and just muscling through, kind of thinking, I guess it's just how people are. And a lot of this I've brought on myself with my spiritual life and everything. And then even even when I had that revelation, it threw me into not exaggerating a good five-year pursuit of, of getting better through medication. I mean, it was just try this, um, try something else that didn't work, try something else, try this psychiatrist, try that one. I mean, it seriously took such a long time until finally I found some relief. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I look back on all this and I would say that I have learned the most about my depression in the last couple years than I've learned um, 
you know, all together. And it's really been from counseling. And I used to always be anti-counseling because I was just like, I don't need counseling. I've got my stuff together, man. Like I'm, I'm a smart guy. I'm functioning in society. I'm, I'm a decent man. I, okay, husband, great dad, and all this stuff. And it's just like, why would I need counseling? That's for people that are really in need and are messed up. Not, and that's just such a ignorant approach. Like counselors can find patterns in your brain, and and they know the science behind it, and actually teach you stuff. Uh, to help you. So there's been a lot, like I have definitely learned that I am in control more than I thought I was. Hmm. And, and possibly uh, I'll even lend some credence to the notion that maybe, maybe I'm in complete control, but the, the stuff that I'm not able to overcome is because I don't know how, and no one has taught me. Now I would guess that's not the case. I would say there are some times when your mind is just so messed up, there's there's just virtually nothing you can do other than write it out. And that's been another positive thing is I, I read some of the uh, most recent research on depression and everything. Um, it's one approach that's basically don't just ignore it and don't try to do anything about it. Learn how to live with the pain. Huh. And, 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 and the example they gave is um, when's the last time uh, Nate, when's the last time you thought about purple apple? Just just now. Purple, just now. All right, so you haven't thought about purple apple in years and years and years, maybe never. But if I said, hey, for the next minute, don't don't think about purple apple, it would take about? everything in yeah. you to not think about purple apple. Right, so they yeah. said it's the same thing with people with mental illness when they try so hard not to be mentally ill, not to have depression, it's like you're working against your yourself, and, right. and, and there's a lot more to it. That's no, just that's, one. That, that's like mindfulness. I mean, uh, that's like what they say about about meditation, or you know, going in and and being aware and watching your depression or yeah. watching your suffering, of kind of outside of it, but just observing it and just yeah. being with it. I mean, right. it's like it's like having tea with your trolls, Nate. Sometimes we talk about that. Like, hey, welcome, welcome to the party. Sit down. Right. How are you doing? Exactly. And there's something comforting about that because you because you sit and you observe and you see. It doesn't have control over you anymore. You can right. you can kind of just be outside. Yeah. Of it. There there are times when I sit there and I'm like, I can't do anything about this right now. So I'm gonna be okay with that, and I know I'm gonna get better because. Uh, my track record shows that at least in a, in the next day or so, I'm going to be totally fine, maybe in the next six hours. So all right. I can do right now is just accept the state of my mind right. and move on. Okay, so it's something that you can kind of, you kind of know the waves come and go. As some people just have, like, there's been some times in my life where I remember I had depression for three days as a kid. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was. It just felt like I was going to die. That's... Right. That's how I explain it to some people, and they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, just I had it for three days. Thought I was gonna die, and then later on, when I was on tour and we did like six months on the road, I hadn't slept forever, and I was totally depleted. I started to feel it again, and then I couldn't sleep, and then started getting anxiety. I was like, "Okay, now I understand what people with mental illness deal with and struggle with. It's it sucks, and it's yeah. If you haven't experienced like the actual feelings, it's really hard to relate to and." You know what I mean? Yeah, like you just is. the only way that I've ever related to it is when um when I was younger, I used to smoke pot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I I I realized I couldn't because after a while I would just get super paranoid. 
Yeah. Um, extremely like anxious about the way I looked or what people thought of me. Um, just thinking about just these weird loops, like playing these things in my head that people were looking at me or, or, or thought I was like this, or did I, did I laugh too loud? Like all this weird, like, oh, painfully self-aware anxiety. Never experienced that in my life. Just, just with weed. So then I had to be like, you know, I was probably smart that I didn't smoke it anymore because I was a, you know, I was a teenager. So it was probably bad anyways. But, um, but yeah, that's the only way that I can understand even what my wife's going through sometimes. Um, because I know it's this like, it's this pit in your stomach and it's a dreadful feeling. And I've had like panic attacks. Um, but it was always induced by, uh, it was always drug induced. So it's not something I understand, you know, just in daily life. But yeah, at totally. least that's the only way I can really empathize with it. Right. Yeah, you know, and with the book, outside of telling a bunch of embarrassing stories and how irrational thinking played out in my spiritual life, my social life, dating life, marriage, and all that, I touch on, you know, what you were just describing as far as the relatability and, you know, talk to an audience of people that struggle with mental illness as well as people that don't. And I think one thing that's super important is for people in in my shoes that do struggle not to be so easily offended when you know the the other crowd of non-strugglers say things that seem insensitive and you know have a hard time understanding or maybe even get angry sure um like like early on when i realized i was depressed i mean toby and i were were best friends we hung out together all the time toby morell and it just like I hurt him deeply, which caused him to hurt me deeply. But my approach was, hey, I'm the one struggling here. You can't, why are you hurting me? Not even realizing that, oh yeah, this all started with me hurting him. And just having that mutual understanding, hey, if if we're going to bridge this gap of understanding, people that struggle with mental illness, we, we've got to not be so offended because right. we're hurting people. Right. I mean, I've I've hurt my wife deeply to a place where I don't think she's fully recovered. You know, right. it's affected our marriage negatively, and we actually have a a good marriage. We're in a really great season of life, but I think that she is close to coming out of a really dark place that I've had her in. <laughs> I've had, it sounds like, oh, I just threw her in there. Yeah. I just slammed that thing shut. But um, 2012 was a really, really bad bad beginning of, of three very difficult years for hmm. me mentally. A combination of a good friend of mine um, passing away and um, you know the two of us being really close with his wife and kids and seeing what they were going through and simultaneously the medicine that I had been on for a good 7 years just kind of puttered out uh which psychiatrists say happens often right. when you're on medication long enough it just stops working so it was just a combination of a lot of stuff i mean i was in a very dark place for a long time and it took its toll on my wife for sure wow hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's the thing we don't realize often is suffering is the one common thread yeah. that everyone goes through in humanity. And a lot yeah. of times we can only we're we're kind of we have our blinders on and we can only see our own suffering. And that's sometimes because it's very it's great, you know? Sometimes right. it's over it's overwhelming. But 
we all struggle with things and it's all of our responsibility to, to, to recognize, to go into ourselves, yeah. recognize the things we're struggling with and deal with them for the sake of our, for the sake of our families and our loved ones and the people around us who are affected by it. If right. I don't work on my anger, for instance, I lash out. I can lash out and wound and hurt my family. I'm, I don't know if you deal with anger, Joey, I would guess probably not. But there's other ways that you can, if you're not aware or you're not doing your work, whatever your work is, whether it's counseling right. or getting on the right meds or whatever, if you're not doing that, you could you can wound your family in, in, a, in a completely different way. But it's, right. not, it's not just you. It's everyone, right? Everyone has right. Their, their, their deadly sin that they go to. I don't know why it seems so intertwined, but when I'm feeling depressed... Oftentimes, extreme irritability is in the formula as well. So very short fuse, like with my kids, very right. easily frustrated with my wife, um, with things that would typically not get on my nerves, but just really make me angry. So that yeah. is actually something that, that comes with the territory of being, you know, at a bad mental state for me is the irritability. So I... I guess I say irritability instead of anger, but the, the anger definitely um, is birthed out of the irritability because everything's pissing me off. <laughs> Do you feel like in very depressed, depressing times, I mean, I've definitely, there's been times where I've turned to porn for yeah. sure. I was just like, I feel like such a horrible mess. What does it even matter? You know, right. I mean, it's just so, yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't like any of that. And I, I truly believe. I I have definitely moved uh, beyond the whole uh, guilt thing. That's that's something that I have uh, come a long way of overcoming. But I do truly believe that you know God is is the only thing that can bring that comfort that I'm looking for. But that takes such more commitment and such more faith, and it's a lot easier just to retreat to something that's a quick fix and uh, you know right not good, yeah. not helpful didn't really do anything for me. Have you ever you done know, any uh, Enneagram work or, or read up on the Enneagram? I listened to the Liturgist podcast, right. but I I was double tasking, so I didn't I didn't get hmm. it all in. But uh so yeah, I don't really know what, there's what a, mine is. There's a lot of trolls that kinda come around uh this subject in general. Like when if you have a problem, there's this group of people that just oh I have the answer for you. Have you tried right. this? Have right. you taken St. John's wort before? Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. like and you're like, yeah, and I and part of me is like that. So I understand that. I I always look to sort of a natural <laughs> way of You know what I mean? You know those people are out there. It's like, <laughs> right. have you tried this? Nate's an essential oils guy. That'll that'll cure your <laughs> autism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. That I've I've counseled with couples before. And one in particular, two very extreme naturalists, and so they have literally tried everything from from smoking weed, from small in moderation dosage of mushrooms to essential oils to uh, meditation, is yoga, this, breathing is this treatment. For depression, anxiety. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, and for it, you it or for them? Gotten, for them, and it's okay. and it's gotten to the point where. I'm just like you you've got you know I know that it's not ideal to put chemicals in your body. Right. I don't prefer that for myself, but for me I've come to the conclusion my family they're going to get a decent 
husband and father. And if it's going to be for a shorter period of time because of what the medication does long term, then so be it. I would rather them have that than just a miserable, depressed, anxiety ridden, sure. you know, irritable person that walks around the house always sad. I mean, I, I, to me, it's a yeah. no brainer. And so I find that there are some couples when I'm just like, you really need to at least try. Just medication. get on. Yeah. Just try something. Yeah. You know, and, and if it makes a huge difference, you got to admit that's worth it. Right. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that there, like, obviously you grew up. Um, or self-described fundamentalist. Um, yeah. Do you think there was like a big mental health stigma growing up? Like, was was your church one of the ones that said, "No, you just kind of pray it away. You got to just trust the Lord." And uh, you know, if you're depressed, it's because sin in your life. Like, is it was that attached to your upbringing? Um, maybe it was, but I just wasn't aware of it because it really was something that I attributed to uh, my spiritual uh, condition. But if I had to guess. I just I don't remember those conversations in those churches, but if I had to guess, yeah, the type of churches that I went to would have gone the spiritual route and would have said, no, you need to, you know, buy a stripes you are healed, not buy a Zoloft pill popping, <laughs> you know. And so I, I kind of think that that the Bible that was as your the prescription, your, your exactly, yeah, exactly. And uh, but yeah, that's just gosh, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it. Well, it, that you you did say your parents kind of brought your depression up to you, which I think is that displays that they weren't there wasn't a big stigma against it. Right. Um right. so that's that's nice. Chrissy's uh folks or at least, you know, her community growing up was just a little bit there was a little bit more stigma around it, I think. Yeah. Um and you know, it, it if if you were mentally unstable or couldn't sleep or couldn't get out of bed, it was more likely a spiritual issue, which I think was yeah. harmful for her because, you know, she had all this guilt and shame over feeling the way that she felt, you know, when she was a teenager. Yeah. Because she, for some reason, you know, there was some unconfessed sin in her life or, yeah. you know, which I think is really oh, spiritual man. abuse, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, once she kind of got out of that and uh, and she was on medication for a while, um just really leveled her out and she was far better for it so it sounds like a church is a big part of this for all of us because we all kind of grew up in I think similar backgrounds and I don't think my parents are fundamentalists but uh, I think the school we went to was and I think some of the churches we went to were where I felt like people could say things and it would just rattle around in your head they could just read a verse a wrong way and I remember thinking about some stuff and just you know you pray and pray and pray and pray and nothing changes it's like you almost feel like how can you not get depressed if you think, oh, well, God says he'll throw this mountain into the sea if I just have enough faith. Right. Well, right. I, I have a lot of faith that he'll 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 fix the situation, and it's not happening, and then all of a sudden you get depressed because you don't feel like anything's... So as a kid, on top of it, you have all these things working against you. Um, was there just a point where something broke and you just felt like God loves me no matter what is going on in yeah. the situation? Like, what changed? Yeah, I mean that that happened very late uh in my life. Like I would say in the last 
maybe five years, I've come to a place when I was like, wait a second, God, God just loves me. Like every everything else is takes a huge second seat to His love for me. But I, I'll tell you something that's huge, very controversial in my mind, makes complete sense. But but here here's the reality. You know, we we're talking about our upbringing, and you know, God bless my parents. They they were there for me, and I think a a, a huge part of that was the the fact that my dad struggled. I mean, a quick story about my dad. He remembers. You know, for all you old school uh, folks, it was showbiz before Chuck E. Cheese, but we were at Showbiz Pizza, and he was watching us play video games, and something happened in the video game, and he said, holy ghost. Well, he he immediately was like, I just blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And for a solid two years, he felt like there was, there was no way out. Like, he had doomed himself to hell. I mean, just such fearfulness. Now, wow. The, the the reality of that there's is, a verse that says if you if you speak poorly against the Holy Spirit there's no forgiveness something oh, along yes, those lines pretty yes. legalistic yeah, yeah. It, I've heard that from a few pastors before right in, in in reality my dad wasn't speaking ill will to, towards the Holy Spirit he just took the Holy Spirit's name you know in vain so here here's the thing it's like if if that stuff is true then we have a lot to be afraid of. I mean, sure. we have we have you know because the churches that we were brought up in, salvation was never secure. So you are always <laughs> kind of in some sort of a I could still possibly go you to hell, lo- so yeah. I need to really really figure stuff out. So I feel like a huge turning point in my life because even if my life was secure and I was definitely going to heaven it still didn't help the mental anguish of thinking about hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of people you know suffering eternal torment forever and ever and i think when i finally got to the point where i was like wait a second if that is true then that's the big surprise because i don't even think the bible points to that much less does that match the character that we're taught you know about God, and and for those of you that think that's silly, the Bible does teach that. I would just encourage you to look a little deeper and listen to some teachings of people uh, that treat the Bible in the same way as you do. Many of them inerrantists, and they would say, "No, it does not teach that." When I came to a point where I was like, "Wait a second, that's a way bigger question mark," that right there alleviated so much of that fear because I was like, "Wait a second, God's love is the biggest thing." Now, some people, they don't have a problem with God being loving and hell existing. Right. Just their personality or just how they see things. They're more trusting. I don't know what it is yeah. about those people. I'm not I'm not that person, and, it, and it, that could be flawed on my part, not enough yeah, me faith. Either. Where I come from when it comes to that and, and whether or not heaven or hell exists or what exactly they look like or if it's eternal torment or eternal bliss, and, and um, I, I love what Pete Rollins says about it. Eternal bliss is hell. Can you imagine yeah. getting what you want for the rest of eternity? Right. That's hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't really care like what people believe. Like a billionaire in Hollywood. I want I want to know what your belief does in practical action. Are you motivated to love through your belief? Um, or is the motivation out of fear? Because there are a lot of people who are socially conscious, people who go and do prison ministries and counsel and but the, and they believe in a literal eternal hell, but it's motivating them to go out and love people. And maybe some of them are just trying to convert people, and that's that's fine too. But if it's if it's motivating you to shame people or to say right. these people are wrong or these people will be judged, 
then I don't care what you believe because because in reality, at least fifty percent of what you believe is is going to be wrong. At least I don't see. Uh, so I, I I see what you're saying, but I don't know if I agree because if if we truly believe that the majority of humanity is going to <laughs> hell. I, it seems like we have a responsibility to go everywhere and telling them that and, and trying to be as right. loving as possible. But if they take it as shame, it's just like, look, I'm not trying to shame you. Right. I'm trying to tell you the reality that I found, and I don't want that to happen to you. And I have you. friends I have friends who are pastors of churches that they do that. They just go knock on door to door. They call it soul winning. They go on their soul winning campaigns every Sunday after church, and they tell people, here's where it says in the Bible, if you don't believe in, in Jesus, you're going to yeah. hell. Right. And, and yeah. then people go, oh, okay, I'll convert. And I would say as a little kid, that's why I prayed the prayer and accepted God, because because I was afraid. I was paranoid. And I would say if, if we apply these statistics, right, 26% of people over 18 have mental illness, right? So we should say, okay, about 26 to maybe 40% of all Christians who hear the Bible message are going to hear that fear-based freak out, oh my God, I'm going to hell. The, it's like, I can't even function as a human un- thinking this could possibly be my destination right? right. if I don't do my... Cl- so yeah, half I, the people are paranoid. I, I'm one of those half. I definitely was freaked out about it. Yeah, I, and, and I see the category of, let, let's, let's be even more specific and say, this group of people, well, what about the group of people that have found peace that, hey, I'm not going there. Right. Then you have half of the people that are just like, at least I'm not going there. I I'm at peace. And then the other half, and I'm not saying that the other half are more admirable in any way. I'm just saying they can't find peace because they're just like, I can't take the fact that somebody right. this is this is somebody's eternal existence. Yeah. And so it's, and I mean that's why things like, you know, in in the reform theology, I just think I mean, you are just trying so hard to make a point that is not there. And uh a phrase that they threw out that I heard, I think Mark Driscoll throw out, and it was called common grace. So what common grace is, everyone that's destined for hell, at least they get to enjoy stuff on earth, such as sex, food, uh, making money, Rain seeing a beautiful sunset. Exactly. And I'm like, wait yeah. a second. You, and, and common grace was a gift from God because he does love everyone or something. And I'm just like, that is not... that. If that makes you sleep well at night, that God is saying, hey, for this speck of your existence, I'm giving you some gifts, you're going to go to hell forever, and it's because I made you for that, but I'm loving enough to let you enjoy a sunset. I'm like, that just, I don't understand how people proceed with that sort of belief. That it's, just, a lot of, it's a lot of mental gymnastics. but It is. But, uh, well, and I love what P. Ron says about belief, because... The reality is, I agree with you, people who actually believe that the majority of people in our culture or in our world are going to go to hell for eternity, those people are going door-to-door and telling people that. I don't know right. that they're that successful, but if they, but that's a very small fraction of people who profess to believe that. People who, right. are going, who are saying they believe in eternal hell are not acting as if it is true because they're not going door-to-door, so either they're completely selfish um, and don't care about people burning in hell forever, or they actually don't believe it at a core level. Like Pete Rollins would say, you don't actually yeah. know what you believe. It's how you behave. That's what you actually believe. So he would say, you don't mm-hmm. believe that mm-hmm. a duvet cover uh, can protect against knife attacks. Right. But when you hear you know, a floorboard creak in the middle of the night, you pull your duvet cover, your blanket, over your head. 
as if yeah. that's going to protect you. Um, yeah. So you don't actually believe in ghosts, but you know if you hear something, maybe you'll check the cupboard. You know, right? right. <laughs> but it's right. interesting. It shows your actual belief based on how you behave. So I would say the majority yeah. of people yeah. don't believe in either. They either don't believe in an eternal conscious torment, which they say they believe in, or <clears throat> they do believe in it and they just hate everyone and don't care. Well, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, I've actually heard Reformed theologians say that there, because we give all glory to God, we should celebrate that God receives glory out of the wicked being tormented. Like yeah. that's something that we should actually celebrate because it gives God glory, and that's our first priority is to give sure. God glory. And I'm just like, oh, that's God Lord. as a as a super being, which is yeah. a projection of our own well, depraved version of justice. Here's yeah. my here's my issue as a 36 year old is that I have come to this realization that I think you two have come to, and that I don't think the way that I was reading the Bible is the correct way, and. When I go back and read it now, I find myself fighting these trolls. I'll read these specific verses, and I just go, oh, that sounds like hell. That sounds like that old hell that I remember as a kid, and I get, I get panic attacks reading the Bible <laughs> now, even though I don't agree with the tr- the translation that, you know, right. it's just like it's still ingrained in me. I can't, you gotta have a you got to have a, a commentary. I have to read someone else's. Alongside uh, it, yeah. I have to read what someone else thinks about the Bible verse before I can actually read the Bible verse. You know what I'm right. saying? Like it's it's really hard to just pick up the Bible and read it because yeah. if you have all this baggage, We're talking about how the core of a lot of shame and guilt and maybe even mental illness it comes from our assumed beliefs about a base reality which is the spiritual realm and where people are going forever. Yeah. which is ingrained in us at, at a young age. I want to know Joey so you kind of attribute, and uh, people can read your book to hear more. You have a lot of hilarious stories in there, but you, you attribute a lot of kind of your quirks to these spiritual assumptions that were taught to you, that you uh, you were kind of forced to, you were coerced to agree with, yeah. or else you'd be out of the out of the tribe. So how do you then, knowing what you know now and, and believing d- things a little bit differently, how do you go about teaching your kids? Yeah. Uh, and in your home. Yeah, I'm still I'm still learning that, but the best thing that I've stumbled across is the simple phrase but I'm not sure. Um hmm. w- what I've told mainly my oldest is here is what your dad thinks. Um and then I'm okay with saying, you know, what I am pretty sure of is that Jesus is Lord. He is who he says that he is and that he loves me, that he loves you. Um, but, I mean, it's crazy. She she has definitely heard, I don't know if, she, if she's noticed it, but she has definitely heard my theology change because hmm. she was asking hmm. questions at an early enough age where I was telling her, some people go to hell, you know, and we don't understand why yeah. and everything. Yeah. And now my, my answer is, you know, I personally, I don't believe that. And and here's why, but I'm not sure. Like I don't I don't have all the right. answers. You know, I would just you're saying it's important to hold your beliefs loosely as opposed to like just te- just beat them over the head with it. Well, that's yeah. that. It's still a little scary for me because I mean you got to realize that I I lived the majority of the 
my season of life of either expecting kids or having kids at an early age, the vast majority was, hey, I have my sealed type theology that I have figured out, and I know exactly how to raise them, exactly how to steer them in the right direction, and now I would just be a fraud. And, and, And here's what a lot of people don't understand or they make assumptions, and we had Nate on Pastor With No Answers to talk about this very thing, is a lot of people, they think that, you know, this sort of deconstruction and changes in our faith is like a rebelliousness towards God, and we just want to do what we want to do, and we want to live our life the way we want to live our life. I'm actually being true to the relationship I have with God. I haven't I haven't ceased hearing Jesus speak. Now, you can argue, you can say, well, Jesus is not speaking to you, and I would say, yeah, you could be right, and I can't prove that he is. All I know is that he hasn't ceased speaking to me, and there have been times when I've been so scared and so petrified to kind of walk away from a lot of the stuff that I've thought, and I have just sensed out of nowhere the comfort of Jesus say, it is okay. And it reminds huh. me, and I got choked up yesterday. I'm That's reading. just the devil tricking yeah. you, the yeah. father of lies. Yep, yep. you better <laughs> repent right now. But uh, I, I got teary-eyed. I'm reading uh, Science Mike's book, and right. it just reminded, when he said the part about he heard Jesus tell him, I was here with you when you were eight, and I'm here with you now, that's exactly what it reminds me of. It's like mm-hmm. I've walked through so I've I've been through such a long journey of ups and downs of thinking this way and thinking that way and being wrong here, being right here, changing my mind here and there, but the one thing that hasn't changed is there has been a presence of Jesus and I think right. that yeah. it's like now Jesus is starting to say, "Hey, that's what's always been there. You may not right. have attributed this to me, but that's always been there, and I've always been working through what you're going through, and I and I'm with you, you know. And so right. I I, I yeah. can't stop believing in Jesus, and and it and it does trip me up a little bit when people go through similar stuff that I've been through, and then come to the final conclusion, Jesus is is not right not either. Exist. That that's yeah. a that's a big I don't understand. But are you afraid of that? Like for me personally, for you? yeah, no. Nope. And you, I you I, don't think you'll ever be an atheist if if the path leads you down if you just keep learning and reading and challenging your faith you don't think no that because the mind will ultimately trick you into being an atheist. Right. There's just <laughs> <laughs> there's been there's just been too many things unexplainable that have happened to me personally that I can only attribute to Jesus. I can't attribute it to anything else. I still think it's worth to stand on the cliff and look into that that you know crevasse and say what is the atheist crevasse what is what is on that side and look over there and and see into that but i, I agree with you like for me i've always come back to like i'm not alone uh this isn't this isn't a mistake something is going on here that's bigger than me but i'm willing to even listen to atheists talk about why they don't believe in a god and sure. it doesn't right. it, it doesn't fire me up anymore like it used to. I used to go, well, I'm ready to defend my faith, and you, you should. Right. Here's here's these five facts, you know. Oftentimes, the God they don't believe in, I don't believe in either. Yeah, and actually, yeah. the majority of the time, I agree with all the atheists yeah. who say I can't, I just can't believe in a God that is that does this or is like that. And I go, yeah, me neither. I don't. Either. Here's here's yeah. something I want to talk. <laughs> here's something I want to <laughs> talk about. I I think when I started to deconstruct and consider other things is when I started to notice that people in my life didn't actually believe the things that they've been they've been telling me my whole life. For instance, like 
you watch Dances with Wolves and you're like a hardcore Republican, but then you love that movie. It doesn't make any sense because here's this guy that like, you know, deserts his post, becomes a Native American, finds love, and basically just totally turns his back against every American way of living, right? <laughs> against the U.S., right. yeah. I see people cheering at the end of this movie, and they're like hardcore Republicans. I'm like, wait a right. minute. Something's not right here. And, I, <laughs> I, and I've seen that happen so many times when it comes to God and spirituality, where my friends are on Facebook saying some really mean things, like when celebrities die, for example. Yeah. Christians yeah, right. love just to go out and go, oh, well, this celebrity died because of this and that. If they only found Jesus and you're like, I, I think at that point I go, that person doesn't believe it because if it was their friend that died, they would have a completely different tone and a, yeah, sure. and, a, and a completely different understanding. So can we talk about that a little bit? Like when you started to see cracks? Yeah, I, I think it, you know, I, I went through uh, seminary studies, which uh, scripture trumps absolutely everything. And I, it doesn't sound Sola like scriptura, I, right? And I, it doesn't yeah. sound like I'm answering your question, but I'll but I'll get there. And so if if that is the case, systematic theology, then, kind of thing. Yeah, totally. So if that's the case, then you know because they also want to say, well, the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth with the Scripture. So it's like, okay, well, wait a second. That that's kind of tripping me up a little bit. And I think what. What I had been doing is, you know, we're told to worship God in spirit and in truth. I pretty much spent the vast majority of my time as a Christian worshiping God in truth. So it was like, I need to figure everything out, and what I believe is the most important stuff, and everything else I have to kind of throw out of the water. And so that made me miss out on God's love and His presence in my life, because here I am reading a bunch of confusing things about God, stuff that doesn't make sense, but that's the stuff that I was depending on. Whereas when I started really opening my heart up to God's love and actually consistently sensing His presence and His work in my life, I mean, I feel like now I'm worshiping God more in spirit to where it's like, God, God is seriously saying, look, you, you don't have the answers. You are confused. I'm not going to tell you exactly how to approach the Bible. What I am telling you is everything is going to be okay. And okay. I think also yeah. coming to the conclusion that the only relationship with God that I can be responsible for is mine. Uh, like, right. I can't be responsible for anybody else's relationship with God. I mean, how many times have we seen pastors and their wives, they've done everything to raise their child up in the ways of the Lord, and, you know, if, if they go away, they'll come back. It's in Proverbs, even though Proverbs is, like, poetry, and it's not supposed <laughs> to be taken as truth. Um, I mean, they just believe, oh, that's—and and, and they never do. The, the kids go right. away, and they find something else. They don't believe in God. Or what right. about the, the, the people that—the kids that grew up in horrible households that never talked about God, the, the gospel, or Jesus, and they're like Christians that are just full yeah. of God's love and, you know— all, Well, I know—I I was listening to this podcast. It's The Axe Files. It's David Axelrod, the, who was Obama's campaign manager, and he had Barack Obama on for, a, for an interview before he left uh, office. Yeah. 
Praise God. Obama was, praise God, by Obama, the way, him leaving office. Praise, now we've got a real man in. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> spoken like a true South Carolinian. Uh, do, do, do your listeners know that I'm joking? Do they know that I'm? No, joking? yeah, yeah, they're no, fine. They yeah, <laughs> yeah. We made a, we've made a few uh, Trump memes in our day. You know what I mean? Yeah. The one thing that that stood out to me about Obama because he said when he first met Axelrod, uh, Axelrod was kind of jaded with politicians and he yep. said i want to make this run for the senate and axelrod was like i don't think you can do it you just don't have that chip on your shoulder that that need for affirmation and attention that like so many of these guys who run for the senate have yeah this just this this desperate need this unhealed wound from their childhood huh. and uh obama's like okay i guess i don't have that uh and then they started talking about like what do you think he didn't have a dad growing up it could have been a really terrible upbringing. He ended up going to Harvard and Yale and, you know, being the president of the Harvard Law Review. Like, how does someone go from not having a dad, yeah. having a single parent raising him? And, you know, he even said that he was like friends with his mom at like, because his mom was 18 when she gave birth to him. Right. And he was like friends with her when he was, by the time he was 12 or 13, they were basically on like equal terms. Yeah. Which isn't healthy either. But the one thing he could point to was that he never felt once that he was not unconditionally loved mm. by his mother. And he said, there was a lot of stuff in my childhood that wasn't okay, but the unconditional love just filled in all the cracks. Yeah. It covers over, you know, to use biblical speak, it covers over a host of sins. And this yeah. is like every, this is, that's the crux of like every good story. That's the crux of like right. every time people stand up and cheer in a movie or an audience or a speech. And that's the thing I've always seen is that humanity all, has that in us we all have that thing inside of us it goes i just want that love story to win out it doesn't right, yeah. matter if you believe in god or not you are we are all compelled to it i mean how many superhero movies well, can we make it's written on you your know? hearts unconditional love is the thing that's transformative it's self-sacrificial and it's transformative and we were raised oftentimes maybe not directly but 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 indirectly to assume that that the love was conditional it right. was conditional on our behavior or our correct belief. It wasn't unconditional. Right. We were told it was unconditional, but then it, but then when we looked at the facts of what we believed, it seemed very conditional and with eternal consequences. So, so that's what I when I hear like how how do you parent? The, yeah. the thing that always comes back to me is like I just need to let my kids know that no matter what they do, I love them. Right. Like and really not just profess to believe that. Right. But really, when they make a mistake. Look them in the eyes and say, no matter what, like, I know you're feeling shame or I know you feel guilt in this moment. Yeah. But like, yeah. that doesn't change how I feel about you. Yeah. Totally. I think that's the, that's, that's the, the true power. Yeah. Yeah. I agree for sure. And I also, I'm still at a season where like, I, I, I am not full fledged, uh, universalist. So, but I will say that surprising, like this, this, I mean, the Joey of even five years ago would be shocked to hear <laughs> that I think there's a possibility yeah, that sure. everybody's okay forever and ever and ever, and God's got this. It's very orthodox, actually, to be a hopeful uh, universalist, yes. like yes. orthodox Christians yes. are. Um, um, they don't they don't have a firm, tight grip on that theology. There's right. just not enough evidence right. uh, to make... E I just think there's not enough evidence to, to say anything after, after life... Is for certain. Yeah. 
I mean, there just really isn't. Yeah. I mean, you can believe what you want, but to to have a firm doctrine about the afterlife is arrogant. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So so well, I don't... the New Testament. You know, you read Paul, and Paul kind of gives you this license to be arrogant. You know, because he's kind of arrogant, and maybe that's read 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 out of context, but. <laughs> You know what I mean? I don't think Paul's arrogant. Paul's like Paul's like you be be you know. He, there's so many verses that are like be assured of what you believe, so you can defend the faith whenever something happens. Like there are verses like that. that right. Paul, Paul says, "Be ready to defend your faith," and people Christians right. take that all the way. But to you the can bank. read that. Yeah, you can read that a certain way, or you can read it as like defend love and charity and goodness and grace and 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 why those tenets are important. To well, us, sure, to but us. that's not yeah. how anybody read the Bible growing up. <laughs> It was like, be ready to, to spout out more Bible verses in, in different languages yeah. if you have to. Tell people they're wrong. Be Nate, ready to tell people how wrong they are. Nate, yeah. do you know you go, sometimes when you're talking, when when you mimic like a just a general person, you go Jack Black. <laughs> yeah, I do. Don't I mimic like Jack. He does have a, you totally does have go a Jack soothing Black. Jack Black voice, too. Yeah. He's, my, he's my favorite. We had J- our buddy Sean Porter on the show, and Sean Porter is like my favorite Jack Black imitation. Like, he has the voice and looks like him. And yeah, but you have the voice, too, Nate. <laughs> I've just, heard it. Let's I mean, just be wild. real, though. Nacho Libre was like the best movie for church kids. <laughs> Ever. (laughs) I believe in science. I laughed so loud. I could put that on at any time, and I'm feeling down, and I'll just laugh hysterically like... They don't think I know crap about the Bible, but I do, man. But but all this is to say is that mental health comes from wounds, hurts, bad thinking. Uh, Someone gets a screw in your head, and you can't get it out. Um, Depression... Girls, I mean, it just seems like Chemicals. there's all these themes <laughs> of uh, that I uh, that I've experienced. But it's funny that it comes back to uh, our view of God because I think mankind from the beginning, the depression came from oh shit, something's wrong. I'm not. The okay. gods are angry. The gods are angry. The crops have not been watered by the rains. Right. Yes. Therefore, the gods are angry, and we must scapegoat and kill some kill kill one of our own sacrifice. Yeah. But I wonder how many like real staunch five point Calvinists are just depressed and throughout the history, you know, just just believe this stuff so intensely that they just never experienced any joy. Because I've met quite a few people that I think are on that list, and I just like I can't. Yeah, I, I can't. I mean the the loudest ones they call that reaction formation. So like w- the ones that are the loudest are the least secure. I would say in any if you look at any issue, the people who are who are railing against, I would say like the Westboro Baptists yeah. are the least secure in their faith. Yeah. Because it's it's a psychological term, reaction formation. So so you rail against out of doubt. It's like the motivation and fear. That, that you could slip. So I would say like, yeah, the loudest uh, tulip Calvinists are the least secure. And I, I, but I've met a lot who are faithful to John Calvin's words, but aren't super harshly literalist about certain things and are, are okay to admit that they're, they could be wrong. They want to talk about the ins and outs of why. I mean, it's, it's a pretty heady uh, stream of theology, I think, but um, but yeah, I've, I wouldn't just broad stroke all Calvinists. Well, I would say, I would <laughs> yeah. say, Joey, did something happen? Like I've read so many stories where, like, guy was was totally trenched in his theology. He was a pastor of yeah. a church, and then his son comes out gay, and then it totally flips it because this dad has to go. 
well, I've got to love my son unconditionally. He starts right. to look into the scripture with more love goggles, so so to speak. The love goggles. And starts going, That's some well, good Christianese right there, man. Yeah. Yeah, dude, love goggles, man. That's your next book, Joey. His love hel- goggles. His helmet of salvation, his love goggles, his... 3%, I have a 3% his journey. tax every time you use love goggles. I got it copyrighted. No, but, you know, suddenly the love goggles come on. Let's talk about the love goggles. And I would say probably about... You know, when I hit 30, it was like, all of a sudden, it's like, let's try these love goggles on, see how things look. Oh, much better. Much better. (laughs) Much better. Again, to me, it doesn't doesn't fall. uh, Now, now for a lot of people that are so hateful towards the gay community, yes, love goggles. But for me, the, the biggest conflict in that father is all of a sudden, my son has chosen a lifestyle that's, that's outside of God's will that obviously means that he has made a voluntary decision to live apart from God, which obviously means there's a really good chance he's going to go to hell, and th- right. there's devastation there. Like, but oftentimes, I, there, that's the linchpin to change. You, you seem to be on a journey where like, you look back five years ago and you go, I, I, could, I wouldn't even imagine how many beliefs have changed in my life. But I think the linchpin yeah. for a lot of fundamentalists people are something like that in their life someone dies yeah someone comes out as gay and you and they have to rethink a lot of their presumptions and yes initially it seems like the whole house of cards is falling well, because they mm-hmm. see that like it's easy to go oh yeah on facebook to, to, to the world you don't know being gay is wrong but then when it hits home right and it's your son your daughter or whatever then suddenly it changes everything they don't ever have to apply anything to their life because it's just yeah. everything's rosy, everything's going, the theology works. And then one day the theology just doesn't work. Yeah. And sometimes it's just the only piece that falls. So I have, you know, I, I, I know some people who this one guy, his son came out as gay and um, he's very gracious. He's a fundamentalist still, right leaning Republican yeah. um, about putting God back in schools and whatever it is, military. Um, we got to take care of ISIS. We got to stop the refugees. Trump the is the second coming us. of Christ. Trump is the best. But like, on, just on the one issue of like gay people, it's totally flipped. It's like, no, gay people are are great. We need to support them and love them. And it's just so funny. It's like it, it, the structure of everything else is so strong that it, it, there's no domino effect. He's like, well, I have to change that one thing, but I'm keeping everything else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the immigrants are I, still bad. I will say, <laughs> I will say, we could talk about this a little bit. The one verse or the one thing that I think that helped begin to crack the dam that I had built. How it was, I think Jesus cast a demon into the pigs or something. And then he got called out. And he's like, the devil can't do anything good. He doesn't use good to do wrong. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I'm, to- I'm totally butchering this, but basically... I, 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 Satan can't cast out Satan. Only God can do that. Yeah, it was it was kingdom that. divided against itself. Martin Luther King, hate can't cast out hate. Only love can do that. Well, I started to realize that like people who aren't Christians do loving things all the time. There's so much love in the heart of people who don't know Jesus or whatever, and it can't right. be Satan in them doing all this love, right? <laughs> It just can't be. It's like so. It's the diminishing of the dualistic realm, which is there is right and wrong, good and evil, black and white. Yes. And but then you then you get out there and you start meeting people and you realize, well, wait a minute, these people are good too, and they actually do good, and they're responding to a call. They're responding to a conscience 
inside of them that is calling them to do good and be charitable and be loving and self-sacrificial and to love their neighbor. How is that if they don't have the right belief? Yeah, that's 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 one that can. But they can't. can't the whole be house Satan of guards doing can all fall. that loving. It know? can't be Satan, right? So who is it? Yeah, yes. but but the the <laughs> easy the easy response to that for the fundamentalists would be that there is selfish gain involved, and that they're they're tricking you. They're not it's, sincere. Like it's either to right. fuel their pride. Um, for pats on the backs, like it's just totally sure. motivated by Satan. that. Would be a self-preservationist argument, though, because it's it's just not true. Right, right. Like, I met no, I so agree. many good people who are just not. I, I'm pretty good at diagnosing insincerity or uh, deceit. Yeah, and uh, I've I've met more insincerity and deceit within the realm of uh, spiritual belief and faith yeah. than I have on on the outside. I think I think intellectually honest people happen to be atheists more often than uh than people of spiritual faith so i i just think that's wrong but i i understand that that's the argument that people would make right no totally so what so when it when it comes to fundamentalism how did you begin to take the steps to get out of that and then we can kind of wrap up after that yeah i well i don't think i took any steps i think i just I, i i just existed and lived and sought god and took in my experiences and thought and prayed and read and, you know, so I don't, I don't make some voluntary steps. In my opinion, maybe I did. But I haven't I think seen fun- many people make that leap though. You know what I mean? I haven't seen many people who grew up fundamentalist, like totally say, well, maybe universalism's true, you know, like, right. I, I'm one of those people. And I just, I, I always find myself arguing with my friends who I grew up in the church who are just like, Nate, you're off in the deep end somewhere bro i'll be right. praying for you and i'm <laughs> water's like, fine i'm like what <laughs> so yeah. I, i'm always curious to find other people like me who've kind of just sort of randomly voluntarily like i don't know i'm just yeah. wondering what steps are for you sorry i think it really began with okay so i, I mean i'll be very specific i listened to a podcast called rethinking hell uh chris date gotten to know him a little bit over the past couple of years he's been on pastor with no answers a bunch well he, he I, I mean i would call him a fundamentalist with how he reads god's word believes it's completely inerrant and he can take the bible and win in any debate against someone that says people go to hell and they they suffer eternal torment he would say absolutely not uh, they are destroyed once and for all, so there is a measure of... of so mer- he's an annihilationist. Yes, yes. Right. so there's a measure... So he takes revelation literally then. Right, so, yeah, but right. no, I mean, he can he can tackle every single verse that seems like eternal conscious torment and right. explain why it's not. So I realize, wait a second, these, this guy's, his, his arguments are valid. I'm listening to him destroy other theologians that disagree, if if I can believe something like hell for so long and come to a place where I'm like, as I was receiving more and more of God's love, I was also letting that question mark of just everything in general grow bigger and bigger and bigger and learning to be more comfortable with that too. So to me, it was a process of letting go of all these things that I was so assured of and being more convinced that God's love is active and real in my life. Um, and, and there's been a lot of fear involved, and it's been terrifying at times, and that's when 
I can only describe it as Jesus stepping in, almost like patting me on the back like a big brother saying, it's okay, I'm with you, you're fine, don't be scared, yeah. and then that presence leaves. And Isn't I'm, it funny how you're you grow up and you just you have this nagging sense that it's not okay. It's not okay. Right. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And then the first time you really experience if anybody's had a spiritual experience where it's just blown their minds. Right. The only the peace is the thing that they take from it. Right. I just felt like it was okay. Right. And that's the piece that passes understanding. It shouldn't be okay right now. I don't right. understand how it could be okay, right. but it is okay. Right. And that's that's when you know you're on the right path, I yeah. think. Yeah. It's very scriptural. Perfect love drives mm-hmm. out fear. So, yeah. yeah. Right. And how can fear drive people into heaven? Because I think, you know, you apply that a verse I was talking about earlier in the opposite way. You know, like, I don't think Jesus is going to use something of the devil to drive people into his kingdom, right? Yeah. So yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense that all this hellfire and brimstone would actually ever work because yeah. those people at the end of the day would always sort of have that hot coal burning their ass right no matter where <laughs> they sat down and yeah. that was me and finally I just put my butt in a bucket of water and said everything's fine everything's okay <laughs> it's okay well you know well, and to, I think to, that's the path to to healing the depression and the anxiety you know what I mean right when you, when you start to stick your butt in the cold water and go. I'm loved. I, yeah. It's okay. Well, there, there you have. We should wrap this up. Uh, Joey, do you have any final thoughts? Well, on yeah. What I was, just said two, two quick things. First of all, for your listeners that are just like, wow, these three guys are really off. I'm right there. Like, I totally understand where you're coming from. There's even a part of me that's just so hesitant with expressing where I'm at right now because I've just been so conditioned to be like, that's wrong. That leads people astray, and so. I understand where you're coming from, and I'm not offended by that sort of response either. Second thing, a little detail that I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear is one of the biggest books in the Bible, uh, I would say definitely one of the biggest historical narratives in the New Testament is, is the book of Acts. And these guys are basically spreading the gospel message. Not one time do they say, accept Jesus, or you'll go to hell except Jesus, or you're going to suffer eternal torment. Not one time that was not a part of their gospel message. Not one. Not Mm. one time. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That is very interesting. Well, there you have it. Joey, we talked about a lot. Hell and and mental health and fundamentalism and probably the most religious episode we've done yet. And Dances (laughs) with Wolves. Yeah. We've gone all the way there. Uh, if you want to uh, read Joey's book, he's got a lot of hilarious stories, um, sometimes sad. You'll laugh, you'll cry. Uh, fundamentalistpastor.com is probably, is that is that a good place yeah. to go? Yeah, best place to go. It's also on Kindle now uh, for four ninety nine, so that's a steal. Whoa. Amazon, look up Fundamentalist Joey Svensson. Yeah. It's S-V-E-N-D-S-E-N yep. or S-O-N. S-E-N. Sweet. Yep. Sweet. Do you, uh, anything else to say? You want people to follow you, stalk you online? No, man. I just, uh, I just want to give all shout outs and praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, uh, <laughs> mom, I wouldn't be here without you. Shout outs. So that's about it. <laughs> With the Rocky poster in the background. Up. I love it. <laughs> that about wraps it up. Trollsters, you can, uh, thanks for listening to Don't Feed the Trolls. Tell your friends about us if you haven't. Uh, you can email us all, all the terrible things you thought about our opinions at don't email the trolls at gmail.com. Um, talk about your hell trolls. Talk about your damnation trolls. T- 
talk about how we're wrong and we will be damned for believing false things. Uh, or you can go through the contact form at trollspodcast.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah.